Mac Power Users, Episode 164, Tackling Email. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, the, the majority of the email we now get is written to David and Katie Floyd. It is, and that's great. Except for the emails that's written to Katie Floyd and David. Yeah, you like those better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, sometimes. You know, so... But hey, we, let's talk about some email, man. We get a lot of email, and so that's good. And um, so we thought it was time. We One of the most emailed about things we get is emails requesting shows on how can people manage their email better and how can they tackle their email better. And, we, we you know, that was our very first Mac Power Users episode we ever talked that, about. That's where it all started. Is it a little nostalgic for you? We yeah, talked well, about the, <laughs> That's where the lost episode was. It is. <laughs> The first episode, we said, let's throw that away and do it over again. Because it was really bad. Hopefully, we'll try yeah. not to repeat that experience. Yeah. But we talked about email for three-plus hours, so we split it up into two episodes. We'll try not to go that long today, but we had a lot to say about email then. And I think we have a lot to say about it now, because a lot of stuff has changed about email. Yeah, it's, it's really evolved a lot. So, uh, And email is a problem that everybody has. So, uh, in fact, I feel so strongly about it, I wrote a book. You did write a book. So uh, the new Max Sparky Field Guide is all about email and how to tackle the email problem. And I've got a sneak peek at it. It hopefully is available by the time you've downloaded this podcast. We think it, it will be. It is available. It is. It is available. We're, Absolutely. Okay. I have faith. It is available by the time you download this podcast. And um, David, why email? Why not? I mean, everybody has this big problem. And it's a problem on several levels. I mean, the first is everybody in the world that gets access to your email address thinks that they can take your time whenever they feel like it. Right. Yeah. And, and then we as users have to decide how much of that we let take over our life. In fact, I had a real hallelujah moment with all of this when paperless came out because I was dealing with, you know, whenever I release a new book, I get a lot of email and a lot of requests and all that stuff. So for the first, you know, couple of weeks after paperless came out, I was getting all of this email. So every day I was spending hours trying to kind of get through it all. And my daughter was doing, I wrote about this in the book. My daughter was building some Lego that was really cool. Did you notice I said Lego, not Legos? I noticed. Was that the picture of the Lego that you have in the book? No, that, that was a different set. Okay. But either way, she was doing Lego, and I, I we kind of have a thing where we do it together. And it's, it's a lot of fun and, and kind of evolved to the point where by doing it together, I search out the little parts, and then she builds it. But I'm happy to have any any role in that process. But either way, so I said, well, let me do this email first. And so I started working through all the email and then I finally finished the last email and I looked down and she had finished the whole project. Oh. And so I had blown it, you know, I mean, my daughter did something. I had an opportunity to do it with her and I blew it. And, and like instantly at that moment that I was feeling really dumb, I got an email from well, a listener, frankly, who had said that, you know, she wrote me six days earlier and I had written back and what's wrong with me. You know, why don't I just take my email address off the website? Because obviously I don't take it seriously. And it was like the combination of spending over two hours dealing with email, the realization that I just missed out on something that I really wanted to do. And then someone being angry at me for not doing it even more, just like something in my head just popped. And uh, I said, this is not acceptable. So I have to figure out a better way to deal with email. 
and also, you know, have time to build Lego. So I kind of went on a journey. I went on a spirit quest for email. And this has been something that's been brewing a long time, because I know when we first started talking about the field guides years ago, the topic of email came up and that, you know, it's taken you a couple of books, but you got there. Has it just well, been kind I, of brewing deep down inside? Well, I wanted to, this one took a lot of research, uh, you know, to write the paperless book. I knew exactly what the workflow was because I had developed it and I was using it every day. And I felt like I wasn't good enough at email. So I needed to get better at it before I could write the book. And then the process of writing this book was just hugely time consuming. I, this one of all of them, you know, I don't even want to know how many hours I have into this project at this point, but it, uh, I think it paid off. It came out really good. And, and I learned a lot in the journey and I share it in the book. So hopefully people can, can get better. We're going to learn, uh, share a lot of it right here on this podcast too. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about some of that. And kind of the first place I wanted to go is this whole idea for organizing email. And we talked about this way back on Mac Power Users episode one, and you have a, a pretty specific structure for organizing your email. And, you know, it's funny, I just went to um, the tech support guys at our office put on a class about how to manage email. And I practice a lot of the things that they teach. And I got a few ideas from them, but I just wanted to mainly see how other people do it. And they were talking about how important it is to pick a structure that works for you and have a method for organizing your email. And so let's talk a little bit about how that happens in your in your mail application or web browser. Okay. Well, I think to begin with, everybody's different. In fact, when I finished this book, I said, I don't want it to just be 300 pages of me telling you how to do your email because not everybody has the same problems and challenges that I do. So I, I interviewed, I believe, eight other people. And it's people that we know and some people that we don't know. I mean, we had doctors and uh, Serenity Caldwell from Macworld and um, David Wayne, some of the guests from the show, Aisha Tyler did one. So all people from different walks of life that get different volumes of email. And it was very interesting to hear how they managed it. So I guess I want to start this conversation saying, I don't have the one method that's going to work for everyone. I, I think the solution to dealing with email is number one, figuring out where you're comfortable with it and how important it is to you. Because I think it's very tempting to make email a lot more important than it should be. And, and so that's the first thing. And the second thing is I think you need to become familiar with the different, I'd say galaxies of technology surrounding email. And then once you have a basic understanding of how they all work, then it's a lot easier for you to pick the one that works best for you. Because, you know, some people that use Gmail are very good with Gmail and it works great for them. And it would make no sense for them to use like an IMAP mail. And some people use IMAP and it would make no sense for them to use Gmail or exchange or some of the other more obscure email, you know, procedures out there. So, uh, so that's my caveat before I start, but how do I organize email? I've got three basic parts of my life and each part has its own inbox. So I've got the stuff I do as a person, you know, my personal account, which is an iCloud account. And then I've got the Max Sparky world of things, including this podcast, which is a IMAP account. And then my office, you know, day job account, which is a Microsoft exchange account. So I have three different email technologies I'm using every day. Yeah. I have a very similar setup. And then you have a couple of different accounts that filter into those various accounts, if I remember correctly. Like I know you have a, a Gmail, the, the Mac power users do, is set up through a Google domain 
And so yeah. I think you've got that filtering into your Mac Sparky account. So when somebody sends an email to David at Mac Power Users, it actually goes to your David at Mac Sparky address. Yeah, it ends up in the IMAP account. And I don't know, are we going too deep? Maybe we should talk about these various bits uh, or not. I don't know. But the uh, I, And I used uh, the Mac Sparky account as a Gmail account for a while while I was writing the book because I felt like I hadn't spent enough time with Gmail and I was always tempted by it. You know, it was... It was like the siren song of Gmail, because I know so many people that use it. I always felt like I was missing out on something. So that was another fun experiment during you know writing the book is just dumping the IMAP for a while and just using Gmail and finding out what I liked about it, the things that surprised me about what I liked about it, and um, the things I didn't like about it, which I wasn't really aware of. And and when you say using Gmail, you don't mean using Gmail through an Apple Mail client. You you mean the full on Gmail experience, either through a web browser or through a Gmail specific app, right? Both. I I oh. tried to use it, you know, every way possible. Okay. I I wanted to kick the tires. I actually started that experiment thinking I might stick with Gmail. Huh. So. I guess that would be one thing. I used to collect email addresses everywhere I went, you know, from all the various IPs that I had for every new email service that popped up, I'd go ahead and register my name. So I, you know, so I would get it. And then I found that I just had this trail of email addresses and it's not hard to go ahead and add an email address if you use a mail client. But that was one of the things that I did is I I consolidated all my email addresses into my three main personalities like yours, me as a person, me as a podcaster slash tech person, and then you know, me as a professional. And I don't know that I could get it down to two at one, at some point that would be nice, but definitely I'd get it. No, no less than two. When I interviewed David Wayne for the book, one of the things he said is he puts everything down to his Gmail account. So he's got one inbox. So the stuff he does about making movies and stuff he does about his kid's birthday party all goes to the one inbox and it all works through Gmail. And he's, by the way, that guy really is a Gmail power user. That guy uses the heck out of Gmail. And uh, so uh, I'm not sure that the way I do it is right or wrong, uh, but based on the way my life works and these available technologies, it's definitely the solution for me after I've spent, you know, after having gone on this journey. Yeah. Well, people who have more traditional day jobs, I definitely, people who do not work for themselves, I definitely do not recommend that they merge the streams and merge their work and personal email because that just gets into all kinds of complications. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. I mean, it's, you have to be, um, you have to be almost self-employed to pull that off yeah. and, and you can fake it. You know, there are, there are services where like even Gmail is good at, at essentially spoofing an outgoing email address to something else. So you can make it look as if it's coming from somewhere else. But, uh, it, for me, it makes a lot more sense to have the, the office account, the personal account and the, and the geek account. Yeah. And I know one thing you've talked about is that you aren't always in your email client. You go into your email client a couple of times a day and you deal with what you need to. So what do you do that two, three times a day or are you doing it more often or? Yeah, it's there's that that was one of the, the challenges with this book is structuring it, because there are certain parts of email that no matter which technology you use uh, are good good practices. And then there are certain parts of email that are very specific. Like if you use Apple mail, you know, holding down shift command D sends an email. That's really helpful if you're using Apple mail, but that's not helpful if you're using exchange or outlook or something else. So I wanted people to get the benefit of both. I wanted to kind of talk about the kind of the holistic part of email. And I also wanted to talk about the details about how to get the most out of whichever client you use. So, 
one of the first chapters is called tactical email and it's, it's a long chapter and it's got all kinds of advice about everything from, I tried to kind of address it in, you know, how do you check email? Um, how do you write email? How do you do replies? All that stuff. So signatures, you know, I go on and on, but so I've got a section in the book that kind of covers all that stuff, but that I feel would apply to no matter what email client you're using. So to answer your question, Katie Floyd, in fact, I think we had this discussion on the show at some point in the yeah we have past four years, but you know, I, I'm a fervent believer in as few email notifications as you can get. In fact, when I was doing the final proofreads, I was wondering if I hadn't like really shot the horse and then beat it with a stick and then shot it again too many times on this notification issue. But I just feel like it's so important. Uh, you know, I'll be sitting with somebody in the day job and, and I'll, they'll get email notifications while I'm sitting there talking to him. And then he'll pull out his iPhone and he'll look at it and he'll put it in his pocket. Then he'll get another email notification. And he'll pull it out. And it's so distracting uh, for me as the person conversing with him that he's not paying attention to me. And it's got to be equally distracting for him that he really can't listen to me because he's become a slave to that ding. And I'm so much against that because so often those emails are are really irrelevant. I mean, no matter how important you are, you're still going to get the Viagra ad. And if you turn on that notification, you're going to be getting that Viagra notification, you know, buzzing you every time it shows up. It's terrible. In fact, I did math in the book. I don't have the page open right now, but... I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood. If you leave the the notifications on, you know, the basic setting in Apple Mails every five minutes. And I said, just to be fair, let's say that you're around a device that can ding or buzz or notify you 12 hours a day. Um, that is 52,000 notifications a year. Huh. 52,000. How do you get anything done with 52,000 taps on your shoulder? Now, I have all but turned my notifications off. I do keep them on for a select group of VIPs. Do you, are you still using VIPs at all? Or should, yeah, do, yeah, should absolutely. I res- should I resort to text messaging you when it's something important? Well, yeah. The answer is to both is yes. I mean, okay. even though so, – so one of the nice things about the recent developments in Apple Mail, and there's also a service called the Wayfind that works really good with Gmail that does this. But but Apple Mail's VIPs is really good, too, is you can pick a group of people that are important to you and designate them as VIPs. And you can turn on notifications just for those VIPs. So when the Viagra ad comes through, you never see it. But with, when Katie Floyd emails me, I get a notification that Katie Floyd just emailed me. And that's a really great service. And one of the points I made in the book was, if you're using Apple Mail, you should be turning off all notifications except VIPs, and you should be aggressively using VIPs. Don't just use VIP for your partner and your boss. I mean, if you're in the middle of a project with somebody, you put everybody in that project on your VIP list for a couple of weeks. All you have to do to turn them off is tap a little star icon in Apple Mail. I mean, Apple makes it so ridiculously easy to turn VIPs on and off, and you can do it on iOS or on the Mac. In fact, I have screencast showing you how to do it just in case you, you, know, you don't know already. Um, it's just so ridiculously easy. Why wouldn't you aggressively use that feature and turn people on and off as VIPs? Uh, one of the tricks I do in this uh, show is when we have a guest, we had Fraser Spears last week. Fraser was a VIP in my email for two weeks. 
And after we finished the show, I turned him off because I love Fraser. But if he emails me, it's not something that's going to be critical. I can get back with him in a reasonable amount of time. But when I'm planning to record a show with the guy, if he emails me, I want to know right away because maybe, you know, there's a reason he can't make it or some problem. So uh, you should aggressively be using those VIPs. And that solves the notification problem to a large extent for people using Apple Mail. Yeah, and but I think it also brings up a larger problem and and to some degree you might have control over this to some degree you're going to have to train people and sometimes you're just going to have to accept it but it it goes back to the right tool for the right job and sometimes email isn't the right tool for the right job and you have to explain to people or or train them is what I have found that they're going to think that you're a little weird. I don't respond to my email 30 seconds after you send it to me. If it's something urgent and you need to get a hold of me and you need an answer that quick, you better pick up the phone and call me. Kitty Floyd, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. Yeah. I want to go back because I, I remember we had this conversation on air and you were flabbergasted when I told you I checked the mail three times a day. Well, and, and I've been really upset because my office culture was that of where where they used email instead of paging me on the phone. And um, I, I tell you what I finally just did is I turned off all my email notifications. I, I did keep a couple of my law partners in, in VIP. Basically, the, the people who sign my check get to stay in the VIP category. Um, and I will respond to them when I need to. But I, I, I have told our staff, I have told my assistants, I do not check my email 24-7. If you need me, if there is an urgent matter, if there's a client waiting for me in the lobby... Find me, buzz me, yeah. do something. Um, and I've, I've also tried to train my clients. I try to express it to them in our initial client meeting, you know, to the extent that I can, I can work that in. And I know some attorneys who have like a, a policies and, and procedures page where they say, look, my job is to work for you and to work on your file and not to respond to 20,000 emails and phone calls. So this is when I do that, and this is how I how I respond. And I'll talk a little bit later when we, when we get to that section about some of the tools that I use for that. But I found that I just have to train people. And even if I happen to be sitting in my inbox and I notice that somebody has, has sent me an email, um, I will intentionally not send my response to that email until an hour or so later or until the next business day because I, I am training them <laughs> that I'm not going to respond to their email. Did you know there's two plugins for Apple Mail, Mail Hub and Mail Tags that allow you to write a reply but not have it sent until later? I, I I use the mail plugin send later. Yeah. 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 But the getting back to what you're saying, I think you're in phase two of this, which is where I was when I lectured you about it so many years ago, where it's a thing that you talk about with people the first time you meet them. Yeah, you know, have the talk with clients. I don't respond to email. Um I think I've I've evolved to another phase where I don't even really talk about it. I just don't deal with it until the time is right. If somebody asks me about it, I'll tell them. I mean, I, I had a client the other day say, hey, how come you didn't respond to my email? I said, because I was trying to you know, solve your problem. And that means I don't stare at my email badge all day. So what's up? You know, <laughs> and uh, and that works. But I, I don't feel like I have to tell everybody about it. Yeah. I, I've seen people who put it in their signature line of their email. I check email twice a day. If you don't receive a response for several hours, that's why. Yeah. Um, that that might be a little over the top. I don't know how that would go over. I've seen people who send autoresponders with that. And that that kind of that's a little much because now that's Did just generating more email. 
Oh yeah. Did I ever tell you about, I'm, if I've done this on the show before, please let me know. But about the case I had with the guy who emailed like incessantly. And as soon as you emailed him, he emailed right back, like within minutes. Probably, but keep going. So we had this case, it was years ago in my office and there was, um, so the, the attorney on the other side was really bad. I mean, just terrible about email. And, and he would write these screeds. I mean, this long emails and, and if I would reply with like two sentences, then he would respond again with another like 3000 words. And the, the thing that always amazed me was that these long emails would arrive like within minutes of any reply sent, like just as a game once in a while, I would just like send him like a one sentence reply and then I'd get another essay back. And, and I just thought the guy was crazy. So, so the way I dealt with it was, um, I would, and then he would send four or five of them a day. So he's always trying to, you know, get this reply. So the way I dealt with it was I would print them out and I'd collect them in a little folder at my desk. And then I would, um, every three or four days I'd get the, the pile of them. And it, by then it would be like 20 pages worth of email. And I would, I would read through it and I'd make it, make a note in my, you know, my note or I thoughts HD, I'd make a little mind map for a response letter. And then I'd, I'd write a letter back to him and, and it'd be printed on paper and I'd sign the letter and lick a stamp and I'd mail it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and it, I know, I know it just made the guy completely nuts, but then there was a conflict issue with somebody else in the firm. It's a long story, but sometimes as attorneys, you can't stay in a case. So we had to get out of the case and they had to get a new attorney and the, um, the new attorney came in and, and there was no hard feelings with anybody. It was just, you know, one of those things. And, and I told the new attorney, Hey, be careful this guy. Cause he like emails incessantly. And, and then the, uh, the new attorney calls me back like a couple days later. He says, Dave, you're not going to believe this. I had like 52 emails in a day with this guy. It, I said, well, that's your fault because for every email he sends, you're replying and you're just feeding the monster at that point. But, um, yeah. I, I guess that was a really long story, but the people like that are out there who really think that, that email is like a telephone conversation or immediate response type situation. Cool. So any other <laughs> cool, <laughs> what, what else do you want me to say? Katie's okay. version of saying, man, I wish you hadn't gone cool. there. <laughs> All right. Then, um, I did think the way I dealt with him was, was no, I thought, I thought that was a very appropriate way to deal with him. Yeah. So uh, what about, um, are we beyond at this point the the technicalities of email? I still run across people who use pop email. Yeah, and I do address it in the book, and and I, I tried to make the case for pop. So if you're Yo, if you're listening, you and can't make never the heard, case for pop. Well, I, I tried to explain why someone would want it in these because this day they and don't age. know any better. Well, that's probably the, ultimately I, I decided I couldn't really make the case for it, but it does use lower bandwidth because it's not communicating back and forth. And if you're listening to the show and you have no idea what we're talking about right now, um, there's two primary, you know, old school email protocols. And the analogy I use in the book is a regular postman versus a creepy postman, you know, a regular postman delivers mail to your address and then he doesn't know what you do with it. And that was pop. That's the kind of the original email standard. And before we had multiple devices, it was just fine because you had a computer hooked up to your Cox cable or Comcast or whatever your internet service provider, they gave you an email and then the mail came in and the mail got delivered and it went off their server and went onto your computer. And that was the end of it. There was nothing else to say. 
Uh, but then we all got multiple devices. And so you might have a phone or a laptop and a desktop or, you know, five devices anymore. Who knows? Uh, and the problem with pop emails, once it delivers that email to one computer, it's no longer on the server. So if you deliver it to your Mac and then you log in with your iPhone, it's not there. Or one of the things they do now is they, they, they just send copies to everything. They never take it off the server. So you'd have it on two different computers and you might delete it on one, but it stayed on the other one. So you had all these different versions of your email over the, all over the place. It made people crazy. So that was kind of like the classic mailman. That's the closest analogy to the real world way the mail is delivered, but it doesn't make sense for computers. So then we have IMAP, and uh, IMAP is a, a different standard where what I call it the creepy mailman who looks through your window and sees what you do with your mail. So uh, if you get junk mail and you sh- tear it up and throw it in your trash can, then the creepy mailman tears it up and throws up his copy of it. And then every device you have attached to that IMAP account also tears it up and throws it away. Or if you put it in a special folder, the creepy mailman puts it in a special folder on the server, and then every all of your Macs and iPhones also put it in a special folder. So it's really the better standard for the modern world where we have multiple devices, right? So there's a little foundation. Now, what were we talking about? Creepy mailman, a pop versus IMAP. Yeah, so that, well, I understand. So we, so we kind of got that foundation out there. So where are we now? I think that if you have a pop account, you're making a mistake because... It's just not the best way to use your email anymore. And when I was saying in the book, I tried to make the case for what, what it's good for. Because you don't have the the data transmission going back and forth up to the server telling it what you did with the mail, then it uses less data. But it's it's trivial. I mean, it's just so much easier to use an IMAP account now. But then there's other types of services like Gmail. And Gmail isn't IMAP or POP. It's Google's version of email, which in a lot of ways is better than IMAP or POP, but it's something uniquely Gmail. Then there's Exchange, which is very similar to IMAP, and I know I'm going to get an email about that, but from the user perspective, it works in a lot of the same ways. It keeps track of where things go. It monitors it on the server. It populates it down to your various devices, but it's a Microsoft technology, and it's very popular at work. One of the things I did writing the book was ask around to friends and, you know, who uses exchange? And, you know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of people use exchange. And I said, how many of you use exchange for your personal email? And I got crickets. <laughs> I, I, I don't know a single person that uses Microsoft exchange for anything that's not, you know, part of their day job. So, so, and that's okay. Cause that's kind of Microsoft space there. And, and to be honest, you know, Microsoft has come a long way with exchange. It used to be this really expensive thing and you had to set up a server at the office and, you know, there's all these pieces involved and now they have an online service, this office, uh, was it Microsoft? Yeah. Office 365. And depending on what level of service you can buy for about 20 bucks a month, you can get a hosted exchange, uh, 20 bucks per person hosted exchange plus Microsoft office. And a lot of people are doing, in fact, your office is doing it now, right? Uh, yes, but we're, we're just doing exchange. We're not doing all the other stuff. Okay. So, so there's all these different email technologies out there. And I think that, and I'm, I'm really summarizing more. This podcast would be 10 hours, but the, the point is, is email users, you need to have a basic understanding of how all this stuff works, because once you do, it's going to be a lot easier for you to make smart decisions about, what services you want to use to manage your email. Is it um, what I would say at this point is yes, you need to be informed. You need to get figured out, but for the love of God, use something that syncs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And 
and, and just be aware of what you're doing. And, and I'm not a big fan of ISP-based emails because, number one, they're usually pretty poor in that they don't offer IMAP services. Uh, and the other thing is you don't want to be tied to your email address forever. I mean, you don't want to say, gosh, I really can't cancel this ISP service and move to, you know, Fios that just came in my area because I'd lose all my email addresses or you know, I I can't move because I lose all my email addresses. I don't know who really makes those decisions, but you know, it becomes a problem. So there's so many places. I mean, you did yours with, with Hubbard, didn't you? Where you got your your email address? Yeah. I mean, you get, you get what you pay for with the stuff. The IMAP standard, there's a lot of people that will give you an IMAP account. In fact, iCloud is an IMAP account when you get down to it, Apple's version of IMAP, but there's iterations of this IMAP and some of these services are better than others. I think Hover is very good. Another one that I tested writing the book that I was really impressed with was Fastmail. Mm -hmm. Um, And Fastmail has got some great like online searching tools that I thought were really good. Um, But, you know, there there are services out there that you can use to to make this happen. Um, And it's just a, you know, question of a little bit of an investment for you. Or, you know, even Gmail works great and it's free. So, I mean, no matter what you want to do, there's, there is an answer for you. However, when it comes to email, I, I believe paying a little bit of money for the right email service is totally worth it. If you have any volume of email, because once you start harnessing these services, it really can save you a lot of time. You you know, we've been going on about email and I've gotten so into this, but I forgot that we got to pay the bills here. So yeah, we do. Don't we? (laughs) Well, Well, let's talk about our first sponsor. And that is my, my favorite. In fact, this is really related to email, frankly, is one password. Um, one password from agile bits is the premier software for your Mac, iPhone, iPad, Android, PC, whatever to manage your passwords. And that's such a big deal with email, having a really good, safe and secure password. And I do all these in one password. In fact, I put a screenshot in the book of my, hover one password page because you know stuff is all common except for the password and it's really great because when i set up a new computer one password has the servers that i need it has the account names it has the 800 number i need to call if there's any problem and all this stuff is on like an email sheet that they've built right into one password and because one password syncs over everything and i follow your lead katie and i'm doing an icloud and it's working great i can open it up on my iPhone or my iPad and it works just great there too. Uh, you know, I just, we had to rebuild my daughter's computer and that was one of the things, I mean, I don't remember her password. And so I, I was able to just open that right up in one password and get going on it. It's, it's really a, a super application for managing email. The other great thing is it's got the integrated password generation tool and we just changed the clocks. And as I famously do, I, I switched major passwords at that time and of course, emails were part of that. So I went through and I dialed up the knobs, especially after I had put a screenshot of my <laughs> Max Barkey um, uh, account in my yeah. book, uh, dialed up the knobs and generated new passwords from Max Barkey account, among others, and went to my server and, and put those in. And now I've got fancy new passwords for those things. These are passwords that I could never remember if I even if I wanted to. I, I've lost the you know mental capacity to remember you know, 25 character strings of random numbers and symbols, but it's all there with me at any one time. And it's completely safe and secure. Uh, You know, another thing about one password that I really like is because of the new uh, version of iOS seven, when you open up your device, you know, people want to check it out and they want to see the new, the new thing. And I'm passing it around the house and I'm thinking, wow, I don't want these people getting access to my data. 
I mean, this is one of the things where I don't use Apple's new security method for the password management. Because while I don't really care if someone signs into my Omni group um, forum account, uh, I don't want somebody signing into my bank account. And so that all that stuff is locked down firmly in one password. It's just a great application and I just depend on it so much. And that's why I always gush over it on the show, whether it's an ad spot or not. It's made by some really smart people. They're Canadian, so they're all super nice too, right? And you can all get this on your iPad, your iPhone, your Mac, whatever device you need. Uh, so how do we get it, Katie? If you're going to go to the Mac App Store, they came out with a brand new version, version 4, which has got some great features we've talked about in the past. And the price for that is $39.99. Sounds good. And then if you want to get the iOS version, you just go into the iOS app store and you can download it right there. It's universal. Um, I believe it is $17.99 if memory serves. Um, but you can get it both on your iPad and your iPhone and you're good to go. I would not set up a new Mac without it. It's one of the very first things I install every time. Thanks, 1Password, for sponsoring the show. Yeah, and just a quick point of clarification. One password in the um, Mac App Store is forty nine ninety nine, but it is a full family license. So anything that's authorized with your Mac App Store account can download and use that. That's right. It used to be thirty nine at the website, but I but that I was bought only it for one. Yeah, and I bought it at the Mac App Store, which is great because I've got it on every computer in my house. And that's one of the things you need to figure out before you start using a computer in the Sparks house. You got to get this one password down. I want my kids to have good habits with passwords. There you go. All right. So um, keeping while we're talking about various email accounts, let's talk about, you know, because especially if you're going to pay for your email accounts, which I recommend you do. What about space and and storage? I mean, do you find that that's an issue? Because I know iCloud storage is really only five gigs and I'm starting to bounce up against that, you know, unless you pay for extra by the time you add, you know, your photos. Well, I guess photo stream is is not included, but by the time you add your, your backups and things like that. Just as an aside, isn't that great that PhotoStream is no longer included? Well, it's never been included. No, but they've expanded it. It used to be you only got a thousand photos. Yeah. Now it's more. I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'll follow up on that. We're going to do a photo management show, so I've been researching this. I'll I'll send you some stuff after the show. Okay. Well, you know, you can put it in our shared Evernote that says MPU research. I could. That would that would that, be great. That would be a good idea. No. That way, okay. I could that way I could read it. Um. Yeah, we could do that. But anyway, so is that is that an issue? Do I need to upgrade my storage space? I know Gmail gives you a lot of storage, and I've never bounced up against that. But I know that I'm getting close to my exchange limit for my exchange account at work. So I'm either going to have to pull stuff out or, or upgrade my exchange account. Well, there and there you've hit on it. You can archive it if you want. I have actually have a chapter on how to archive your email. There's a bunch of different tools and options for doing this. Um, in fact, one of them, I just want to call out real quickly, Email Archiver. It's a really interesting application. It doesn't make a data, you know, traditionally when you want to archive your email, it makes a database of all your email. It's like a searchable database. You can go through and pull an email. Yeah. I've used uh, mail steward for that for years. Yeah, exactly. Mail steward's one of the, one of the ones in the book. It's, and, uh, it's cloud pull. We'll do that with Gmail. It, yeah. It's, it's the standard, but um, this email archiver, what it does is it goes to your email or a folder of your email and it generates a, a um, nested folder set of PDFs of each email. And maybe it's just because I'm a lawyer. That is so useful to me. The ability to take all the emails on a certain chain or project and turn them into PDFs with one button. Super useful. 
I'm not even sure that's an archiving tool, but it's, it's really great. But to answer your question, I, I, you know, I guess the question is how much uh, space do you want? If you're going to get extra iCloud space, you're going to have to pay for it. I just, I just paid $20 for my daughter the other day. Cause she's, she's in the red constantly on that five gigs. So for 20 bucks now she's up to, I believe 25 gigs or 15. I'm not sure. But I think you got, I think we added another 10. So she's at 15 for $20, but it solved all her problems because she now has both a phone and a Mac. And so she's, she's putting more data in there than she used to. So do you archive all of your email? Do you keep all of your email? How far back do you go? Or do at some point you pull it out? I've always felt like I'll archive it as soon as I see um, Apple mail operating slowly and noticeably. So our old pal, Tim Verporten used to complain to me every time we got on the phone about how slow he thought mail was. And I have never really had that problem. I mean, when I do a search, it gets it gets there pretty quickly. And granted, I don't keep Macs longer than two or three years. So I think I'm kind of, um, maybe I'm an oddball in that, in that regard. I don't, I'm not running a five-year-old computer, but I guess between the speed of the computers I'm running and the, and the size of my email, um, I just don't run into a problem. So I keep it all there. I like the ability to search it. Mm. How about you? I think I've got all my email going back at least to 2008 and probably further. Yeah. So, a while. We'll see. It hasn't been an issue yet. But, okay. So, we've talked about email and and kind of the technicalities about that. Let's dig back in a little bit to your folder structure for how you organize email. Because this is an area where where I've got some frustration. I know you talk in your book about limit your folders to 10. Well, that's kind of an arbitrary number. I. What I said in the book was, if you can get away with a single archive, you absolutely should do that because it removes so many problems when the, you know, the more emails folders uh, or mailboxes that you add to your email account, the more complicated things get. And and the easier it is to put emails in the wrong space. And especially with the new, and I'm going to talk from the perspective of an Apple mail user, but this would be true in Gmail and some of the other services as well it's getting really easy to file emails away. And for instance, in Apple mail, when they have that new, I believe it's control command plus digit trick. Like if you you have emails across the top of your toolbar and your, your archive is the third one that list, if you hit control command three, it's going to take the currently selected email and move it to that archive. So just keeping your hands on the keyboard, you can fly through your inbox very quickly and put things in places. But you can only do that with uh, nine digits. Zero doesn't work. Hmm. Don't know why. Okay. So anyway, um, if you can keep the boxes down to enough that you can just trigger them all off keyboard shortcuts, you'll be amazed at how quickly you can get through your inbox, which I think is really great. But I just think that the emotional baggage of having all these different email folders just becomes, you know, it just becomes a waste of time and effort. And, and I remember, I mean, the reason I'm able to write about this stuff is because I've broken every rule along the way. I remember when I used to have tons of folders and I had folders for every conceivable purpose and I'd get a new email and I would say, well, gee, I'm not sure this one could fit in that folder or this folder. In fact, that's one of the advantages of Gmail is you can put multiple labels on an email. So it could you know, be connected to two concepts, whereas an IMAP account is just going to allow you to put an email in one place. So you've got to pick which folder it is. And let's say you've got three that might apply, but you're not sure which one. So you create a fourth one that's just perfect for this email. And then suddenly 
you've got hundreds of these folders and the process of even just physically dragging the email over to the sidebar, getting it to land in the right email folder is something that is very tedious. And it's the same on your iOS device. If you've got to like navigate through all these folders to tap, to move it somewhere, that stuff just adds up. And then I got thinking, well, how often do I use these folders? You know, and the fact is I don't, I mean, the search on these new email clients is so strong and Apple mails come a long way. Gmail's great. And just about every email application covered in the book, I think has got some pretty good search that it, it makes a lot of sense for me to cheat at the beginning, just put it into an archive folder and then I can always find it later. And I find that works great for me. All right. Well, let me tell you about my constant email frustration. I've got a pretty good handle on all of my personal email, but my work email is still a problem. And I've got my inbox processed and I've got my responses are pretty good and I'm, I'm good at that. But my constant problem with work email is is archiving. And, you know, y- you can relate to this because you've you understand the setup here. But I've got let's just say, let me pick a number, 50 active cases that I'm that I'm currently working on or, or, or that I could potentially be working on that, that are open. Let's say I've got 50 active matters that I'm working on. And um, so if I've got a, an email from Joe Smith about this particular case, then I've got 50 folders related to my active cases. And if I get an email from my assistant about this particular case, then it goes in that folder. I mean, we don't have any particular office management system and I don't think you do either, but and I probably could find a lot of these folders related to searching, but you know, if the if the emails from the client, that's one thing I could certainly do a search by name. But if the emails from my assistant and it relates to this particular matter, maybe maybe not. It depends on how it was how it was labeled, or it depends on what the keywords were on it. But it's so easy to go to that quick folder and see, okay, well, what was the email chain? What was the correspondence? What was happening here? If I ever need to to pull up something. And then what I've what I've done in the past, and I've I've gotten away from this, is when I close that file, when that matter is now closed, I would create a folder called, um, I think I called it archive files, and I would drag that entire folder into archive files. Well, the problem I've developed now is now I've got three hundred folders in archive files, which has created an issue because those all show up in in iOS when I go to file folders. So I'm I'm in the process, and an email archiver may be what I use, of exporting all of those those emails and saving them to the actual file in our computer, and then just dumping those emails into a more general archive folder so that I can search. But 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 how do you balance that? Because in in our profession, especially, we're so terrified. You know, at some point we may be required to produce certain emails or to produce a chain of emails or to be able to go back and, and find specific emails. And it is just critical that we get them all. I think, well, first of all, that's a kind of an edge case talking about a law practice, but I think the answer to what you're describing, uh, if you're in some kind of work situation where you have project related emails and you, for you, you're required to archive them. I think the best solution is to archive them at the moment they're received. When you receive an email, um, you save it off the PDF, which is ridiculously easy on Apple Mail or most of the mail clients on the Mac, because now they even have a... Did you notice they have a keyboard shortcut built in for print as PDF? I noticed that, yeah. 
I'd like to kind of take credit for that because that's been one of my bandwagon things for sure, like six years. But now they've got a, a menu selection, which which you were able to do before with my command P trick. But now they've built it right into this operating system. But the, the point is, you get an email from somebody on a case. What's to keep you from just printing it off as PDF right there and handing it off to whoever does the filing in your office or yourself and save it to the folder with all the PDFs of the other documents and letters and things you receive. And then you've got a permanent record of right there. And then you dump all that email into one archive that everybody in the office uses. So you can go search out the actual email file if for some reason you ever need it. But largely just having the PDF saved with the file is going to solve most of your problem. Yeah. But to what end? I mean, that's ultimately what I get at the end of the day when I, when I close that file and I select all and print PDF and archive those into a, into a single PDF. But, you know, let's say you get five emails or, you know, I mean, how, how many emails will you get a day? You get 50 emails a day. This particular email seems like it's no big deal, but maybe it is. So for all of those emails, are you going to print them to a PDF and save them with a specific date and timestamp and a description and a file? If you if you if you are legally obligated to archive it, I think that's the smartest way to do it. I mean, this is such an edge case, Katie. But you know, I guess another solution is to have a network wide um, folder structure, and you put them in the folders. I, I'm not saying that you should never use folders. What I'm saying is, if you can avoid it, you should. Yeah, well, I mean, my my system isn't working, and I'm so frustrated with it. But, you know, if you had a, a procedure in, in the office where everybody would print these things as they came in, but I really feel like we're kind of getting into an area where most people don't care. Yeah. It's it's not, this isn't a problem for most people, the, the kind of problem you're describing, at least. I'm sure the lawyers in the audience can't wait to hear the answer, but I, I'm not sure there really is one, except I think making PDFs at the moment, just like you make PDFs of letters and other things that come in, would be a pretty good solution because it would be timely. It would always be stored in the same place. It'd be accessible, something you could produce without having a bunch of uh, chains in it or forwarded from and other kinds of nonsense that you get in these things. Uh, I don't know. It seems like a pretty good solution. It would take extra time, but with a little automation, you could probably solve that problem too. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about search because that seems to be your preferred solution. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break and talk about our second sponsor for this episode. And that is our good friends over at Fujitsu. And they've got a new product for Mac out. And that, you know, I love me a new scanner. That is the ScanSnap SV600. Now, you might have seen the scanner launched a couple of months ago, and it is now available for the Mac. And the have you ever had that problem, David, where you you had something that you wanted to scan, but it was bound together? Yeah, whether sure, it, all the time. Whether it be a book or a magazine or a pamphlet or something, even something that was oversized, like a newspaper or a survey or um, just any kind of oversized document. Well, the SV600 solves that problem. So it is a contactless scanner that will scan um, all of these types of things without having to worry about cutting them or damaging them. You know, I've been known to rip pages out of books and rip spines off of books and get my X-Acto blades out and practically cut fingers off trying to slice edges off of pages so that I can run them through my scan snap before. And yeah, you shouldn't use your batlist for that. Katie, that's never safe. Yeah, I do. But I'm so I'm so good with my bat lift. I can get very precise. It's quite sharp. But 
The uh, SV600 scans an A3 size page in less than three seconds, and it's really cool. Our friend Brooks Duncan over at documentsnap.com did a review of it, and he did some videos where you can actually see this thing in action. So if you lay this book down on in a, a book, a magazine, whatever, pick what you want, and you lay it down in, in front of the SV600, which is kind of cool. I think it looks like Johnny Five a little bit from Short Circuit. You. Okay. No? Okay. I could see that. You can see that? Okay. So you lay this book or you lay this magazine or whatever it is that you want to scan down in front of the scan snap. And it will, it will take a scanned image of it. It just goes, it's very cool. You, okay. You probably can't see my hand moving up and down, but the sound effects, I'm sure explain it all to what you need. But it has this special ScanSnap super software that will flatten the image out so that you don't have the curve that you normally would when you when you have a bound material. So it flattens it out. And if you had to use your finger, which you do sometimes to keep, you know, the book pages from flipping up, it will even detect your finger and remove it. So you might Clever. actually cut your finger off without having to you know, have major surgery later. Um, it will auto crop and de-skew them just because, you know, the scan snaps are smart and do that. And if you've got, let's say you're scanning a magazine or a book, it has an auto page turn detection sensor. So what you can do, page one and two, flip it. It'll sense that you flip the page. It'll scan again. Flip the page. It'll sense it. You can scan again. Flip the page. You see where I'm going with this. Or it will do timed interval scanning. So you can just get in the process of flipping pages and it will let it scan. I'm uh, I'm really excited about this. My My grandfather, who passed away earlier this year, uh, wrote several very specialized publications that are that are no longer in print, and we've got a couple of copies as a family. Um, and boy, I would sure like a way to preserve those. And yeah, this might be it a way was, to do it. The other thing I saw in the video, I haven't played with one yet, but what, one of the things I saw in the video that looked really cool was you could put multiple scraps of paper down. On oh this yeah, platform. Yeah. And you push the button, and you can scan all of them at once. And you know, if you get receipts, like if you go on a trip, you could put all your business cards, receipts, and everything down, and just with one shot, just put it on your computer. And it, it imported them in the video as distinct items. It wasn't like one big picture that had different, little, you know, little sections. And it, it each item got imported separately, which I thought, well, that's pretty smart. Johnny Five, he's really smart. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Agreed. So you can find more information about this awesome scanner over at ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap NPU. There you can see the entire line of ScanSnap scanners available for the Mac. Check it out. They've got some special going on right now, right now for the holidays. ScanSnaps makes a great gift for the holidays if you're thinking about that. I've gotten pretty much all of my family members ScanSnaps at one time or another. Or they've just stolen mine because, you know, that's... That's what happens with the scan snaps. And thanks to Fujitsu for sponsoring Mac Power users. All right. Um, so where are we? Oh, searching. Where are we next? Searching. Okay. I want to talk about searching because I would really like to dump all of this email in an archive, but be confident that I can get it one day. And we talked about in our, we've talked about it before. And I think you're right. You know, why do I spend all of this time organizing email when 99.99% of the time I'll never need it again? And if I do need it, I can always go find it. So let's say I want to do something with Katie Floyd's email. And we did a keynote together in like, I think it was January 2011 at Macworld. So okay. I, I want to get that keynote file. And I have not created a folder that says Macworld or Katie Floyd or keynote files with Katie Floyd or Macworld plus keynote plus Katie Floyd or anything. So I just go up to the search token bar in Apple Mail. I type Katie Floyd from 
that therefore I get all the emails from you and I'll say January, 2011. So it'll give me all the emails from you in that month. And then I'll say keynote attachment. And I'm going to find one or two emails from you in that month that had that keynote attachment. And I got all that with no upfront investment of time, Hmm. just learn, learning the right tools. And this is true for Gmail too. And it works in outlook. I mean, whatever email client you choose to use these days, um, they've all got good search tools. So why would you spend, you know, an extra, you know, 20 to 30 seconds with every email that comes in to find and place it in the right folder and make sure it gets in the right place. When in the future, all you're going to really do to find it is do a search like that. Yeah, that I makes, get it. That makes I get, sense. I get what you're saying, that there's some situations where that doesn't, that's not the case. But I think the default answer should be, I'm putting it all in an archive unless I've got a really, really good reason not to. And I guess for those times when you really, really have to find something or you have to find a collection of something, you, you put the time in and you invest it, but you realize you, you hope that collectively the time that you put in on those few occasions is ultimately going to equal significantly less time than you would have spent otherwise archiving and filing, right? Yeah, and Aisha Tyler's interview in the book, she said that there's some things in her life that just make sense to have in folders, and she's got it down to a very, I think it was like four or five folders. And everything else just goes in archive, but she's got some things that go into these, these folders. And she says that works for her. And I'm not judging anybody saying, well, if you do that, you're, you're not doing email, right? Because there is no right email. I mean, everybody's got a different solution, but if, if you've got it down to four or five, that's a much more manageable solution to, than to what I had years ago, where I had probably a hundred of these things. Some of them were nested and, you know, dragging them across. It was, it was completely nuts. So you think email like archive alcoholic. Maybe what, what gets what maybe what gets me out of these folders? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm I, I don't want to talk about your law practice anymore, honestly. But I think putting them in PDF is a very sane way to deal with something where you need a permanent record, and it does involve some extra time up front. But you're just going to figure a way to automate that, or okay. get somebody else to do it. That's what I always try to do. <laughs> All right. Um, at the risk of running into another specialized area, what about email where you have to collaborate with other people? And I, I know a, a prime example of that is the Mac Power Users Feedback. Uh, we have people who email the feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and that's email that goes both to you and I. And we do try hard to respond to all that email. And sometimes you respond and sometimes I respond. And if you respond, sometimes I don't respond. And if I respond, sometimes you don't respond. But I always try to CC you on my response and you try to CC me on your response so that we, we keep each other on the loop. Um, do you have any special method for, for dealing with that collaborative email where you're going back and forth with people? Well, there's just so many different ways to do that. I mean, I guess one question I'd ask on a collaboration project is, is email the proper place to collaborate? Um, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I keep talking about my book, but I have to tell you, I'm so happy to talk about it because it's been the secret obsession of mine for a year now. <laughs> but the, uh, so I did uh, Mike Rohde, our guest and illustrator, he illustrated the whole book and we did the whole thing through a 37 signals, you know, project where th- there was never email from us. Everything was on a, basically on a 37 signals project and we would check in there. So depending on the size of the collaboration, I'm not sure email is what you want to use. But uh, when you are cal- collaborating and copying people in, just be really careful about who you copy on each email. Just because you've got, you know, you know, Joe Schmo on this project doesn't mean Joe Schmo needs to be copied on every email. I mean, you and I are really careful about it. When I when I reply to a listener email, I always blind copy you on it, you right. know, number one. So, so you know that I took care of it and you don't have to. 
And number two, um, so the, the listener doesn't make it feel like I'm, you know, reporting back to you on everything and it gets creepy, right? But well, now, <laughs> now you've my just told them <laughs> my, my secrets out, but I always blind copy Katie and, and, you know, and, and she does me as well. And that way we're, we have a better chance of hitting every email that comes through. Uh, at least one of us does. And, and when things get busy for me, then I notice Katie does more. And when things get busy for Katie, then think, you know, more comes from me, but more generally we have it handled. And then we also have a workflow with Evernote we use. I guess we can talk about that too. So if you ever get an email from me related to something you say about Mac power users and the subject line says at, uh, MPU feedback at the end of your subject line, that means that I just sent it into our Evernote database and it's going to be something that we're going to hopefully talk about in a future show, which I do with a, a great uh, keyboard. I'm sorry, text expander snippets, MPUF, MPUF, boom. MPUF. Uh, okay, great. I'm, I'm going to change mine to that. It's kind of fun writing MPUF and it, you know, <laughs> and then on the, on the iPhone and iPad, I have it as a iOS, um, what they call them? Te- they don't call them I, snippets. I, I shouldn't tell you what my keyboard is. shortcut. Yeah. Well, now I'm curious. What is it? F you. Oh, really? For follow up. Katie, you're so dirty. It's for follow up. (laughs) And um, so anyway, uh, that's, uh, you know, I go with MPUF, you say F you. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) You have so much more respect for the listeners than I do. (laughs) But uh, so I guess, you know, these situations are so varied. Like another thing I talk about at some length in the book is this reply all and how dangerous that is. And, you know, I it's just I can't think of I think if there was one button on a computer that is responsible for more people like getting divorced slash fired slash, you know, hurt feelings slash everything else. It's the reply all button. I think there's no more dangerous thing you can do on your computer than press that button. Yeah. So I, I've talked to our um, tech support people at work about removing it from the toolbar in Microsoft Outlook. Yeah, they tell me they can't do it, but there's got to be a way. Yeah, it's, it's a dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about, because we will get so much feedback if we don't, about Mavericks and Gmail. It's a little bit yeah, better now, but. I, you want to, let's talk about that in the general category of Gmail and okay. maybe a little bit about my Gmail experiment. Should we do a, are we due for a sponsor spot? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about uh, our next sponsor and, and then we'll talk about Gmail and Mavericks. Okay, so so our our sponsor is Squarespace, and we've talked about them before. I just love Squarespace. They are the company that creates the best website building tools on the internet, at least in my opinion. I've I've invested heavily in Squarespace. I have my site in it, my daughter's site is in it. You know, I've got my my law firm's website is on Squarespace now. Anything I can do that I have any degree of control over ends up in Squarespace, and the reason is. It's easy for me to build it. They have gorgeous templates. And even someone like me, who's not an HTML pro, can set up a website and just start clicking and dragging and moving things around and customizing the website to look just the way I want, starting with their templates so the typography is already good. It's very easy to make changes to those settings, and they're constantly adding to it. I mean, recently they did an update. That makes it even easier to add uh, data and, and components to your to your website. In fact, one of the things with the the new field guide is I've got a website that people who buy it can go on and download the audio snippets if they don't want to listen to in the book. 
Squarespace has a tool. I just drug them in and it created this great visually, you know, attractive looking audio player right on the page. It was so easy. I couldn't believe it. And if you're a Mac power users fan, you can save 10% off with the offer code MPU 11. Um, so that's even better. So go check it out. It's a, they're, it's a great website. They have uh, two cool. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they have two really cool new features out and the audio collection is one. Uh, where you can upload music directly to Squarespace, or in my case, the audio files from the book. And uh, then they also have a new 3D visualizer for shipping. So this is amazing. They have taken all of the factors of shipping into account by not only allowing you to enter your product weights and carrier options, but also implementing 3D packing algorithms to understand the exact amount of the ordered items that will fit into the box you send it with. So then you, you... this is have part of that po- Squarespace commerce. I've told so many people about this and they're like, no, it can't be that easy to, to sell stuff online. I'm like, oh, yeah, Squarespace. Yeah. And it's just for a flat fee every month. They manage the credit cards. They do all that stuff for you. And I mean, this used to be something that even just a few years ago, you would have to pay someone thousands of dollars to set up for you. And it would be on a web technology that was, you know, something you didn't control. And you always had to pay someone to make sure it worked. Well, Squarespace takes care of that for you. Um, I, I really love Squarespace. I'm not going to, you know, gush on and on, but just to tell you that if you're looking to put a presence on the internet and frankly, just about everybody should be doing that these days, there really is not any easier way to do that than set up a Squarespace account and just start fiddling with it. And before you know it, you're going to have a really gorgeous website and it's, you know, the price of entry is, is minimal. I mean, even if you get the super account, it's $20 a month and you get 10% off with this discount code. So you're down to 18 or 16. <laughs> Math. There you go. And um, well, I, I was doing the discount in my head for the lower account, which is $10, which is eight. So it's eight or $16, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. And if you buy a full year, they give you the domain too. So you got that covered as well. Right. And uh, Squarespace is going to be giving us some some cool new. Uh, cu- currently, our coupon code is MPU11, which is great. But uh, we're working with them to get some cool new coupon codes. If you have suggestions for those, tweet them to us. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go check it out. Gmail. Okay. So I, Gmail. I had this. I, I've been flirting with Gmail for years because I have so many friends that I know and love who now use Gmail. Y- you were Mr. Anti-Gmail. They're reading my email. I'm no, no, no I, I agree. I agree. But I, I, I think with all the, the news out there about prism and everything going on, I'm starting to realize that everybody's reading my email anyway. And so, it's not that interesting. <laughs> but, um, so in fact, that was one of the interesting things was I started doing my big Gmail test. I really didn't find I was thinking about the fact that, you know, Gmail serving me ads on this all the time. It didn't bother me as much as I thought it probably would. But Gmail is is not IMAP, it's not POP, it's something different. And and there's several pieces of the tech, Gmail technology that are really useful. I mean, like one of them is labels. And, you know, I was talking about earlier, the problem with folders is that only an email can only go into one folder, even though it might fit in three or four. Labels allows you to essentially tag your email. And tags are a better paradigm for this because you can use multiple tags. I could have, you know, going back, I could have tags for Macworld, and I could have tags for Katie, and I could have tags for, you know, presentations or whatever, and go search through those tags. And that's really great. And the Gmail search tool allows you to narrow the scope of a search to just include things with certain tags. Um, I use that for a while. And just like mail tags, which gives you kind of the same functionality in Apple Mail, I found that it was too much work for me to add tags to emails. 
because I could find them so ridiculously easy with the search without tagging them. And I, I don't want to spend any more time on the email coming in than I have to. So that feature wasn't as useful to me as I, as I would have liked it to have been, I guess. Um, then the next feature in Gmail that always was very attractive to me was this, well, it's, it's actually a relatively new feature and it's this inbox, inbox filtering that they do. Like, like the priority inbox stuff. Yeah. Well, but they've come along farther with it than that. Now they'll look at it and they'll determine stuff coming in your inbox. That's like commercial in nature or mail list in nature. So there's three or four of these mailboxes now. And so you'll wake up in the morning and if you had received 20 emails, but let's say 10 of them were about buying stuff, it would go into the, one of these mailboxes or, you know, so that they've auto sorted your mailbox for you. Um, have you, do you use Gmail much, Katie? Uh, yes. Cause I use it for all my Mac power users email, but I never use it through the Gmail interface. Okay. And we're going to talk about that's where, yeah. that's where we're getting. I've got comments about that. Yeah. So, the, so the, the point is you can use this service through Gmail to auto filter your inbox and which was great, but it wasn't as powerful as another independent service I'm using with my IMAP. I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, so that feature wasn't as great. And then the fact is I have email accounts in office 365 that work really good in Apple mail. And my iCloud account is an Apple mail and Gmail doesn't work that good in Apple mail. And it never really has because Apple Mail is built for IMAP and POP and standard email protocols, and Gmail is something uniquely Google. And I don't think at any point Apple is going to spend the significant engineering resources necessary to make it see Gmail labels or all this, you know, or have this filtering inbox. I mean, I'm not even sure Apple could make it happen. So I've always felt that if you're going to use Gmail, you should use it in the web or use it in like something like Mailplane that's built around Gmail. And uh, so then it occurred to me, you know, I learned very quickly that using Gmail meant that I had one email place to go for my Mac Sparky stuff. And I had a different place to go for my office and personal iCloud stuff. And I wasn't in the position of David Wayne where I could just, you know, jam everything into Gmail. So it it wasn't really working for me. And and there's a bunch of other features of Gmail I've left off. The book has got a whole chapter on Gmail and uh I think I did it pretty fair treatment because there are some really great features in there. But at the end of the day, all those whizzy features to me felt like uh, they weren't worth the trade-off. And that's entirely setting aside the question of letting them read every email and serve me up ads. So the issues that I've had with G- Gmail used to work wonderfully for me. And I just treated Gmail as a regular old IMAP account. And that worked well for me until I upgraded to Mavericks. And we all know that when Mavericks first came out, there was this big Gmail issue where it kind of didn't respect tags and it didn't respect which which IMAP on Apple Mail you know translates into folders and you would file stuff and it would come right back. And it was just a nightmare. And then about a week or two, maybe two weeks after Mavericks was released, they um, they sent around this – they issued this update to improve Gmail with Mail. And it's gotten a lot better and – but it was just, it was almost unmanageable for two weeks. And I, you know, it, but see, don't you think that, I mean, if you're going to use Gmail and, and you are going to let them read your email and serve you ads and do all this stuff, doesn't it make a lot of sense to use, you just use the heck out of it and use all of those great Google features that they're always adding. And since they aren't available to you in Apple mail, 
I just don't really understand. I, I well, let, let me I, tell you why I use Gmail. and Because yeah. for, for me, the answer is no. I, in fact, I was almost ready to switch to another email service because I was so frustrated with the Gmail. I, I don't understand the great... I mean, wh- what are you talking about, the great features of Gmail? I mean, really, the only unique feature of... Uh, I'm going to get email about this. Uh, the unique feature of Gmail is the way that it handles tagging and that it tags instead of puts things in folders. No, I don't think you're doing it justice because it does this auto inbox filtering. It okay, does server it does, does server side rules probably better than just about oh, any service. No out question. There. It, it does, has I mean, it has great spam filtering. It has great server side rules. But there's no reason that Gmail couldn't implement great server side rules and great spam filtering via traditional IMAP. Yeah. Well, and but they're not interested in that. And Apple's not really that interested in making Gmail work that great. You know, yeah. So, 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 so the problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm still. Ha- it, it's certainly better. It's more manageable. But you know, let me. I mean, this is just a classic example of the problem that we had. You know, I, I used to have um, all of my Mac. I had these rules set up so that all of my Mac Power users' feedback would get filtered to a specific MPU feedback folder. And a couple of times a week, I would go through that MPU feedback folder and I would respond to all of our Mac Power users' feedback. And the way that that happened on Gmail side is I would set up Gmail-specific rules that would look for certain key characteristics that all of our MPU feedback had in common, and it would put those in the MPU feedback folder, which or it would tag them as MPU feedback. Great. So from my perspective in Apple Mail on iOS or wherever, it would show up in the MPU feedback folder. So I would go through and I would respond and I would reply. And previously what would happen is once I got those items out of the archive, out of the feedback folder, once I archived them, they would lose their feedback tag, which is what I wanted. I didn't want things to live in multiple places. I just wanted them to be feedback until I dealt with them. And then I dealt with them. I responded. I archived them. And now they're archived. But the problem I'm having now is the feedback never goes away. I'll respond. <laughs> Maybe it does never go away. But I'll, I'll respond to it, and it will stay in my feedback folder. So what I've ended up having to do as a workaround is set up a smart folder that says, okay, well, if it's in the feedback folder and if it hasn't been replied to, and if it's not from me, then show it and filter it to me in the smart folder. Now, that never happened before Mavericks. I don't know if I've got a, a rule or a label that's gone awry or what the deal is. Yeah, sounds like something's gone wrong. I mean, the, the way I handle that, because I've got all this stuff driving to IMAP, and um, and I, I do want to talk about SaneBox, because that was one of the great discoveries I made writing this book. But I've got email going into various places, and Mac Power Users feedback is, or just Mac Sparky feedback in general, is one of the, the folders or mailboxes that I use. I don't check it as frequently as I check some other mailboxes that, you know, are real time critical, but I really enjoy going through that. It's kind of my dessert for doing all this stuff is interacting with people. But because I can use those keyboard shortcuts, I I deal with one of these emails. I blind copy the reply to Katie, and then I press control command seven on my Mac and the email automatically goes into the archive. Are you there? Yeah, no. I was just surprised that your archive was all the way down to number seven. Well, I've got, I mean, I've got multiple accounts. So I've got, I guess if you really want to hear, I, so my, um, the first two, I'd have to open it now. It's, it's muscle memory for me, but my personal account uses the first two buttons. And then Max Sparky uses three through seven because Max Sparky is a, is an outlier for me. And, and you know, maybe now is a good time to talk about SaneBox. So SaneBox is this really great service 
that works on IMAP accounts. And it, it looks at, it doesn't look at the contents of the message and you pay for it, but it looks at the, the header of the message. And that that's going to include who it's from, you know, which account it comes in on. Um, they, they keep track of how often you've replied to that person in the past, how quickly you reply to them. And it starts to make decisions for you about things that it thinks are important to you versus things that are not important to you. So, with SaneBox, you can set up these series folders. I have one called Later. I have my inbox, and I have one called Later. I have one called News and one called Feedback as a start. And so SaneBox looks at everything that comes in my inbox, and it, it, it looks at the, you know, the header and determines where it thinks that should go. So if it's a message from you know, my wife, it's going to say, wow, he replies to this person frequently and often and quickly. It will just leave that in my inbox. If there's a message that comes in from somebody that I buy stuff from, you know, uh, OWC, bought memory from OWC, it's going to put that into my news folder, which doesn't sound like news, but I've trained it that that commercial kind of stuff goes into the news folder. So that's going to go in there. Uh, feedback, and this is the one folder, I don't even understand how it works, but when I get feedback questions, SaneBox usually is able to figure that out. It's somebody that I've not corresponded with and maybe... It looks at the subject line. I'm not sure how it's figuring this out, but it usually puts listener stuff into that feedback folder. And then there's one called later where, which is stuff that doesn't look like it's someone that I reply to right away, but someone that doesn't really fit into news or, or feedback. And it puts it in that later folder. So when I wake up in the morning, my inbox, even though I've received 70 emails over the evening, my inbox will have like five items in it. And those are the items that I really want to know about. And then the later one is going to have another like 10. And those are things that I can kind of qualify. Like maybe a feedback from a listener comes into the later folder because it didn't figure that out. I'll just move that over to feedback. And in the future, it will always put the email from that person into feedback. Um, so I'll also, or maybe it's some, it's an email from Katie's mom asking me about her scanner that she stole from her daughter. And that's, that's important to me. That's, you know, so I'm going to move that to inbox. And next time Katie's mom sends me an email, it's going to show up in my inbox. And so you can see that very quickly, my, uh, when I wake up, I've got categories of email and I deal with those in different priorities. So that makes it my life so much easier and it makes it possible. I mean, that's one of the secrets that I figured out doing this book is man, same box is hugely helpful. And you know, there's a security implication to that. You're letting somebody read the headers of your email. I don't do it with my day job account, but I do it with my personal account, my max Sparky account. And I absolutely love it. And, and that's actually better than the inbox filtering that Gmail does. And another thing that they have in same box is uh, some additional services. Like I can put, uh, I can, I can blind copy an email to someone and I can say one week at sanebox.com. And then one week later, if that person doesn't reply to me, they send me the mail again. And it reminds me, I need to deal with that. Um, another thing they do is they have deferred email. So I've got sane boxes that are, are tomorrow, uh, one week and Saturday. And because Max Sparky Saturday is so often Max Sparky day, I, I wake up early. I, I leave my family asleep in their beds and I go, have tea and I deal with a lot of email usually Saturday, early Saturday mornings. And, and all this email just shows up because I'm pushing stuff into the Saturday box during the week. And, and I'm just like blathering on and on. Aren't I Katie? Yeah. I have questions. No, I have questions. Keep going. Okay. So, uh, so when I first started doing this, I'm like, well, I'm never going to use deferred email. I'm smarter than that. I have an action folder, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? 
there's some stuff that I don't want to put in the action folder because I need several days and it's not worth making an OmniFocus task to reply to this email from somebody, but it is going to take me five minutes to figure out what their question is. And you know what? I'll just put it in Saturday and Saturday morning when I'm drinking my tea, it'll show up and I can deal with it then. And it's off my plate. And that feels kind of good. So I use that all the time. So the reason I have so many buttons, three through seven for me is, you know, Max Barkey action, uh, Max Barkey feedback, you know, um, you know, today, tomorrow, next week archive. So I've got a bunch of those buttons assigned to various mailboxes for that stuff. I'm going to stop now. Okay. Can we stop? Okay. I have some questions. All right. Shoot. Okay. So you kind of covered this, but I mean, Mr. Max Sparky doesn't use his email as an inbox or as a, as a to-do list. I know. Isn't it terrible? It's like my dirty secret. But yet that's kind of what you're doing with Sanebox. Well, sort of. I mean, there's certain things that come in that require an OmniFocus task, right? I mean, yeah. Mike Rohde writes me and says, Dave, I need an updated list of the illustrations for chapter three. That's something that I'm going to do as a pro, you know, that's a task related to a project in my life. And I just forward that to, you know, I just create an OmniFocus task right there because I know I'm going to set aside time and deal with this problem. Whereas I get an email from a very nice listener somewhere who says, you know, how do you deal with this problem? And it's something that I think I can answer for him without spending an inordinate amount of time. But it's something that I'm not going to answer right now because I'm eating my taco at lunch. And uh, I don't want that hanging around in an action folder for four days. I know I'm not going to deal with this until Saturday. And I'm not going to take the time to create an OmniFocus task. Because if I did that, I'd have an extra like 300 OmniFocus tasks every week. And you know, that, that entails its own management and its own time. Right. So I just put it in the Saturday box and it's, then it's, it's off my plate. I don't see it. And, and I, I stop thinking about it until it shows up again. Yeah. Um, but then doesn't your email just get overwhelmed on Saturday? Yeah, but that's okay. Because you know what, that Saturday is when I take time to deal with this. Okay. I mean, one of the things about this is I think some people write me and they think, you know, that I'm, they're imposing on me and you know, saying, well, Dave, you know, why, you know, I, I don't want to impose on you, blah, blah, blah. But I really like talking to people that are interested in the same things I am. And in my, you know, my world, there aren't that many people like that. I mean, you and I, we're just geeks like everybody else. And we love, I, I love, I get a good feeling when I go through that email, but I just can't stop and deal with it every day. And sometimes I can't even stop and deal with it every week, but I do keep it and try and get through most of it. So this allows me that escape. So, so you're right. I get flooded on Saturday with all those things showing up, but I also have a really good time answering it and kind of, kind of exchanging jokes with, with readers. And, you know, if someone sends me an email that, you know, asks me a question that they could answer themselves on Google, you know, I'm not as appreciative of that or, <laughs> or, you know, wants me to write an essay for them. I'm not going to do it. I don't have time. If I did that, I'd never publish another book, but but, you know, when there's simple little problems or, or just what are my thoughts on something, I'm happy to answer those emails. I think it's yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. But mo moving on from – well, let me tell you how I've solved that problem. I've done something I, – I, I like the idea of Sanebox. I, I, I watched your screencast on it. I think it's something that, that I'm going to have to check out. I just got to figure out how to implement it across my various email systems, and I might need to consolidate some of my email addresses. I don't know, but I'm going to check out Sanebox for sure. What I've done is I've kind of, and, and we'll talk about rules in a few minutes, but I've set up what I would call my low priority inbox, and I, I call it review. And you may have a different name for it, but what goes in this, and it's actually a smart mailbox, but what goes in this smart mailbox 
is is that type of stuff, the stuff that I'm going to deal with on Saturday. And most of it filters in there automatically through a set of predetermined rules. Um, some of the stuff I never see because it just filters directly to archive or does whatever it's going to do based on the predetermined rules. But in that folder, well, in, in a couple of folders that all accumulates into the smart mailbox folder, goes all of those things that I ultimately want to review, that I want to process, but I don't need to do it today. I don't need to see it on in my inbox. And I'll sit down on Saturday or when I have some extra time and go through all those emails. That's that's where the website feedback goes. That's where the MPU follow-up goes. Um, that's where a bunch of emails that I get from, from various mailing lists go, uh, although I've got those subcategorized too. But that's where those types of things go. And I don't mind them sitting in that review mailbox because they're not sitting in my inbox begging my attention. Yeah, and I think it would depend on your volume. If you had a lot of email, and I think I'm in that category, having SaneBox auto-sort that stuff for me is totally worth it. If I had a lower volume of email, I could just as easily put things into deal with Saturday folder and, and just leave it there and not think about it. But uh, I, for my volume, the, the SaneBox stuff makes a ton of sense. And uh, it was one of the gems I discovered you know, writing this book. Yeah, you know, we could go on really for like ten hours on this. We we've covered so little. Um, let's do our last sponsor, and I want to talk a little bit more about the the psychology of email and also the book a little bit. Okay, well, our last sponsor for this episode is a new sponsor for Mac Power users, and so we want to welcome to the show Ting. And this is a really cool idea because Ting is made by our good friends over at Two Cows, who are the same people behind Hover. So really smart, really responsive folks over there. And Ting is a MVNO, which is a mobile virtual network operator. They work on the Sprint network here in the U.S. And it is really the first mobile service plan I have ever seen that actually makes sense from a consumer point of view. So right now I've got this plan from Verizon and I've got a gig of data and I really don't use that. And I've got unlimited minutes. And I think on average I use somewhere between 150 and 200 minutes and I've got unlimited text messages and I'm not a big texter. On average, I use sub 100 text messages a month and, and usually sub 50. And by the time I'm all out with taxes and all, my, my bill's a hundred bucks a month. And what Ting does is Ting gives you basic tiers. You look at, okay, well, how many, how many minutes do I need? How much data do I need? How much text do I need? And you don't get caught into a specific plan. It's completely contract free. So if you go over one, you just pay a little bit more one month and you can pay a little bit less another month. And you can calculate on their site. In fact, they've got this calculator. If you go to ting.com slash calculator to see how much you could say it save if you switch to Ting. And I put my information in and it was staggering. I could save over a thousand, $1,056 in two years uh, was what I could save and basically cut my bill down to about 36 bucks a month before taxes. But so what makes Ting different is like we said, that they're contract free. They don't have any termination fees. You pay for what you use. So you say, I need this many voice minutes. I need this many text messages. I need this many megabytes of data. And each category of those things is billed separately. If you go over your data one month because you're traveling, it will pop you into the next category and you get billed for that. If you go under your voice messages, it will pop you into the lower category and you save a little bit that much. So it mixes and matches the data plans based on what you need and you don't have to worry about the overage or penalties. And 
it comes with all of the regular stuff that you would expect to be included in a typical cell plan. You get voicemail, you get caller ID, you get tethering, uh, you get hotspot, uh, three-way calling, forwarding, and all of those other features are all included in that normal service fee that you pay. You don't have to pay anything extra for them. And so you don't see all these extra little mysterious service charges. All Ting charges you is whatever the taxes and fees that they're legally obligated to collect. And that's it. So especially if you've got some low use people on your plan, like I'm thinking this would be an ideal plan for my grandparents uh, or heck me even, um, then take a look at Ting. So if you have any questions, of course, they've got that great customer service, just like Hover does. You can pick them up. You can call them. They will pick up the phone anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can actually talk to a real life person. They've got a whole slew of phones that you can pick from if you want to want to bring a phone, if you want to pick up a phone from Ting or you can bring your own phone. And so they'll teach you how you can bring your own phone over to Ting if you've, if you've got an old Sprint phone that you're not using, which means you can bring your old iPhone 4, iPhone 4S on Sprint or iPhone 4, iPhone 4S that you've picked up from Sprint and, and bring that over. So if you want to learn more about Ting, support the show and receive $25 off your purchase of a new device or $25 service credit, visit 5x5.ting.com. And uh, thank you for supporting 5x5 and Mac Power users to Ting. You know, another great use for this would, with Ting would be if you, you like have a kid and they're getting to the age where they need a phone, you've got an old iPhone, like you've upgraded, and you don't want to go like to the whole family plan and all that that comes with the big carriers. Just set up a Ting account on that old phone for your kid. There you go. It's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... You know, the thing about email is there there are a lot of tools, and the book kind of goes into detail about all of them. But there's also, I think, kind of your personal relationship with email and and putting perspective on it. I mean, email is, you know, we've always had the ability to send each other letters, but it's never been as easy as it is now with email. So people are more inclined to send a lot more letters. and And I think maybe it's an age thing, but I know in my mind, I equate an email to receiving a letter in the mailbox. And if someone wrote me a letter, I would feel very compelled to re- respond to it in some manner. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things I struggle with. You know, I can't, if I can't, if I respond to every email, I'll never get another book published or never, you know, whatever. I'll, I, I'm going to have trouble eating because I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. And, uh, and this is not an old problem. I talked about E.B. White in the book, but there's a lot of people who have had this problem over the years. And I do think if you're seriously looking at your email, you need to seriously look at what your feelings are about email and and where does it really fit in your world and how important does it really need to be? And for some people, it needs to be really important, but a lot of people, it doesn't. So that's a whole nother piece of this. In fact, I did an interview with Merlin and I thought that was the best interview for kind of talking about those issues because he's so good at that. Um, but that's in the book as well. You know, the, the book in general, Katie, I'm just so proud of it. It It's um, 335 pages. I just looked while you were reading that ad. Wow. And um, that's, it's it's double, it's over double the size of, of anything I've written before. The word count is huge. Um, it's got an hour and a half of video and it's got eight audio interviews and I think it's got something like 200 screenshots or something. It's just crazy. Uh, but the, uh, it was quite a project getting it together. I'm real, I'm really proud of it. The other thing I did is I did an entirely new design. You know, the other, the other books were based on an Apple template. 
and I didn't want that anymore. And um, I did it myself. I because I've always been really fascinated with the stickly and kind of the craftsman movement. And I felt like email is a craftsman topic that you need to really think about it in that, those terms. And so I made a craftsman style template for the book. And I think it looks pretty good. What yeah, do you think? The design is absolutely beautiful. Now, how yeah. do you you make a template with an iBooks author? Or did you just kind of create it page by page as you went? No, it's a template. I mean, there's a there's a methodology to it. And we could we did a show on iBooks author once. And with maybe Serenity, we'll go back. yeah. No, we did a show just on publishing where I talked did through we? the whole thing. Yeah, oh, we did that so about many. a year ago. Yeah. So, um, well, you don't have to sound that frustrated. <laughs> but, um, anyway, 164 just, episodes. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for 164 more. But anyway, so I thought the book came out great. And even if you're not that interested in it, download the free sample. That Let me know what you think about the uh, the new layout, because I'm, I'm really proud of it. And uh, I think it's a good book. I Every time I make one of these, I learn a little bit more. And uh, this just feels to me like the culmination of so much work. I'm just in that honeymoon period right now. It just, just, you know, it's, it's submitted to Apple as we record this and I'm, I have it on very good authority that it'll be on sale when the show goes up. And, um, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm just giddy right now. I can't wait to share this with the world. It's, it's a beautiful book. And I'll tell you, if, if for a minute you were thinking, oh, well, I don't need to buy the book because they just covered it on this podcast. I've got, there's so much stuff in this book that we didn't even touch on with the podcast. I mean, you, first off, you've got 300 and something gazillion pages in this book. You've got hours worth of screencast. You've got all of the audio content from these superstars who have somehow you've managed to convince them to talk to you about about email, which is just... I know I can barely get you to talk to me. Way, these guys are talking to me. Way wicked cool. Um, and, and you've got so much stuff. I mean, I was just flipping through the book. You've cost me some money because, you know, you talk about all of these plugins and enhancements that you can use to optimize Apple Mail. And I thought I was using some pretty cool ones. And, you know, we haven't even gotten to talking about... Uh, about some of those things. And so you, you kind of lay it all out. And, you, and, and I mean, this is a book that's, that's great for kind of people who are, are realizing that there's got to be a better way. I've got to have a problem and, and, and got to get better at this. And, and even people who are power users for email, you can really up your game here. Yeah. I don't want to make the hard sell, but it's, it's, I, I'm very proud of the work. And if email is an issue for you for $10, you can, I think, get better at it with this book. So go check it out let me know what you think. I love hearing from people that, that uh, read the stuff I make. Yeah. So it's going to be available in the iBook store, which means yes. that it's available both on the iPad and in iBooks author on the Mac. Yeah. And there's also or iBooks a PDF. On the Mac. Yeah. Yeah. So it, or it looks great on Mavericks. It looks great on your iPad. There's also a PDF version that includes all of the screenshots and all of the rich media, um, you know, screencasts are in there. It's a, it's a, when you buy it, you get a folder and it's got the PDF of the book, but it's got folders with all of the media and all the audio interviews too. Um, so if you live in a country that doesn't have an iBook store or you don't have a Mac or an iPad, or for some reason you just want it in PDF form, you can buy it uh, off the website. It's maxsparky.com slash email. There's a link there and you can go buy the PDF too. So whatever you prefer, I've got it for you. And, uh, Go check it out. I I don't know. I, I'm still like I said. I'm giddy about this thing. I you as we be. record this, we're just like a day or two from it becoming well known that this book has been written, and I I can't wait. Yeah, uh, you you should be. You should be very proud of it. And uh, and now you should start getting to work on the next one. I have an outline started. 
Oh dear. But I'm taking a few weeks off because the last two months I have been going nonstop to get this thing done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are we done with email until they buy the book? I think so. I think so. All right. For a while. I'm sure we'll talk about email again one day. I'm sure because it's always evolving. Yeah. So you can find links to everything that we have talked about in the show notes. And those are lovingly crafted every week by JT, who we just need to send a huge shout out and, and thank you to for all of his help and support because people have really commented about how, uh, how great our show notes are and how they can always find stuff when they go to our show notes that we talk about and it's all right there. Uh, and, and that's not us. That's, that's all JT. So thank it's funny you. how much. How many, many more compliments we got after I stopped doing them and JT did? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of funny, huh? <laughs> right. You uh, can find us. Uh, we're feedback wait, at Mac. We didn't tell them where they could find the show notes. Okay. So you're, where can you're we find the gun. Yeah, where you can, can we find the show notes? <laughs> you can find the show notes. You'd think we'd done this 163 times before. At uh, 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 164 for this episode or at our website, MacPowerUsers.com. You can also uh, contact us to feedback at uh, MacPowerUsers.com. And now you know exactly now the you know what happens that email that. will go through. And uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. And I'm at Mac Sparky. Yeah. And I do love the Twitter comments because if it's something short, sweet, keep it out of the email cycle. That's good, too. But we do try to respond to all of our email, except for recently when Mavericks ate a whole bunch of it. And, okay. You know. I was wondering why I was doing all the email. You lost a bunch. Well, I didn't lose it so much as it just kept piling up on top of each other. And I went through this weekend and, and responded to a bunch of email after they did the Mavericks update. So yeah, okay. I think it's working better now. I think it's, I yeah. think it's working better. I just gave up well, on email with Mavericks. Well, well, thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye.